Hello and welcome to the Millennial Minimalist Podcast. I am your host, Kelly Foss, and together with my co-host, Lauren Morley, our mission is to help you simplify your life and live with greater intention. Together, let's live more with less. Hi, everyone. Today, as we approach Valentine's Day, I'm excited to share a revived version of our past episode with fellow minimalist and international best-selling author, Kenwar Singh Mal otherwise known as Humble the Poet, where we discuss insights from his book called How to Be Loved, Simple Truths for Going Easier on Yourself, Embracing Imperfection, and Loving Your Way to a Better Life. The common theme that flows through all of Humble's works is let go and gain more. And in How to Be Loved, he opens up about letting go of his unhealthy addiction to the approval of others to achieve love. Humble discovered that love is not something that we achieve, but rather something we need to be. The idea that love starts within us, and when we love ourselves, we won't need to chase external validation. And in our discussion, you will be encouraged to reflect on your own love behaviors and break free of lessons from your past that may be causing you to seek love in unhealthy ways. He says, quote, we have to clean out the clutter of outdated beliefs and ideas and understandings of love. You will learn that love is not found, but rather realized, and that when we love ourselves, love will be easier. Be inspired to start building a more meaningful relationship with yourself so that you can be and receive the kind of healthy love that you and we all deserve. First off, I want to say I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast today. Your book, How to Be Loved, is such an important message for all. And for me, admittedly, it was an emotional read. And and, and an emotional read in a really good way. It made me reflect on my own patterns in love. Mm. And in this writing, you help readers understand that love is not something that needs to be earned or found, but rather realized. Uh, You know, the idea that we need to develop a healthy relationship with ourselves before we can develop one with another. And today I'm, I'm excited to discuss how we can let go of unhealthy ideas around love so that we can gain, as you say, connection over attachment and peace over pleasure. So in your book, How to Be Loved, you challenge us to see love as not something that we should achieve, but rather something that we should be. And you show how when we struggle to be loved, we can end up chasing external validation. Now, when it comes to dating and relationships, I'm curious, would you say that this manifests itself as us hiding our authentic selves or putting on a social mask? And how does resisting vulnerability hurt us more? I appreciate that intro. That was that was fantastic. And uh, I think that I think the theme of all my work, you know, my first book was called Unlearn and Unlearn is the the theme of all the work, which is, you know, letting go you'll gain more from letting go. My beliefs around love is love is is a constant and it's always there and we don't have to be or achieve or do anything to realize that love other than clear clear the clutter and and clear away what what's in the way. You know, to your question on romantic love, specifically or romantic relationships, I think you know, the work still starts at home. You know, our relationship with ourselves decides the quality of our relationship with other people. And I think we've established a culture out here where we feel lonely, which is an internal issue, not an external issue, because we've all have felt lonely in crowded rooms. Um, you know, loneliness is not a lack of having people around. Loneliness is a lack of authentic connection with other people and including ourselves. And I think when we have that feeling of loneliness, we decide to outsource a solution to other people. Other people become bandaged solutions and now, you know, almost distractions to not address what's really going on. You know, and we'll do that by 
prioritizing being likable over making authentic connections. And that could be the masks that you're talking about, whether we conduct ourselves in a certain way, both physical and proverbial masks and our behavior and our appearance and everything else. And um, because we have this idea that we have to qualify for love, we have to somehow inch closer and closer to perfection in order to be worthy or deserving or enough of love when worthy, you know, enough and deserving aren't ways to measure people. What needs to be realized is that the love is always there and the work is to realize the love. The work is to open yourself up to the love. And that's what vulnerability is. So as a as growing up, I grew up in a suck it up household. You know, as a child, whenever I encountered any challenges, I made a decision on how to best survive it. And, you know, growing up, I didn't really update those policies. Those just kind of became who I was. That determined my personality, you know, so... Uh, I grew up in the western part, uh, the western part of the city in Toronto and in, in North Etobicoke, an area called Rexdale. And you know, I went to school in some challenging areas, and you build up a certain bravado and energy to what you think you need to do to survive that area. But then, when you're out of that situation, you know, you don't change your energy or your aggression or, or the way you act. And then all those fortresses and walls that I built that I thought were protecting me were actually serving as prisons and not allowing me not allowing anybody in and not allowing me out. And that's where vulnerability is important because vulnerability, sharing your vulnerability is the only way to have an authentic connection with anybody. And um, anytime in my life, both publicly and privately, that I've been supremely vulnerable, it's always, almost always served as an invitation for the other person to be just as vulnerable. And I haven't felt judgment. I haven't felt shame when I'm actually that vulnerable. And that requires us to abandon this idea of perfection because perfect can't be vulnerable because there's nothing to be vulnerable about. And there is no perfection. You know, if you're waiting to be perfect, uh, you'll be waiting forever. So that's why, you know, the subtitle of the book is Going Easy on Yourself and Embracing Imperfection, realizing that, you know, these are the first steps to realizing love that's always been there and, and clearing out some of the clutter of our insecurities, old expectations, old ideas around love and even new ideas that were you know subtly fed through media society religion culture etc so i can relate to you and especially when it comes to your childhood so for me i grew up in this similar household of oh just suck it up just you know put a band-aid on it you're fine uh, or you're not sick you're fine go to school yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so for that reason I I guess I built up this wall in a sense. And so I I wanted to be seen as perfect and I wouldn't be as vulnerable as I could be with my partners in the past out of fear that they would leave me. Mm -hmm. But you're right, you know, after a while, especially in my own dating experiences, you realize, oh gosh, you know, I'm just gonna be myself. You get to a point where you're like, I'm just gonna be myself. And if they don't like me, then there you go. But it's true that, you know, there was a there was a experience in my life where I was dating someone and he was basically ending things with me. And in that moment, I was crushed. And I actually opened up to him about something in my past. And I was very vulnerable with him in that moment. And then he came to me and he's like, wow, this has brought me so much closer to you. And I don't want to end this anymore. Like it was so fascinating. It was like mm -hmm. I was able to open up and he was like, wow, like it's this side of you that makes me want to love you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it, it's true. I know, you know, the the queen of vulnerability, Brené Brown, she says, if you trade your authenticity for safety, the idea of resisting vulnerability, you may experience the following anxiety, depression, addiction, blame, resentment, and inexplicable grief. And I was like, 
Yeah, that makes sense because I personally, and I know I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate is I, I've always, you know, I've had a secure attachment style, but I'm also a little bit anxious. And mm. it's that anxiety that comes from not being your authentic self, not communicating what is important to you to another. And so I realized in reading your book that, yeah, I need to work on myself. Like I need to work on loving myself fully and I need to work on being more vulnerable so that, you know, and, 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 and letting go of perfectionism so that I don't need to seek external validation and the yeah. approval of others to feel a sense of love. So, and, I, and it's such a beautiful story. And thank you for sharing that. And it's also, you know, as an artist who creates, you know, one of the rules I have with some of the artists that I work with is done is better than perfect. You know, many artists are perfectionists or, I mean, any, many people, you know, for example, you have this podcast, you have to wait for everything to be perfect and, you know, it probably would never come out. There's always going to be little, you know, little glitches here and there, but they don't really matter. You know, my, my first book, to this day, you know, the copy you'll find in Indigo is a bestseller and has spelling mistakes in it. And it's okay. It doesn't disqualify me from people wanting to read the book and absorbing the ideas. And I think it, it was a really good point that you brought that the tension that we create being anything but ourselves and, you know, just changing the language instead of living our best lives, let's live our most authentic lives. And the feeling that you get when you get to be yourself and the person in front of you embraces that and i don't want to say accepts that because that person's decision to embrace you is heavily dependent on their relationship with themselves if you share a lot of pain with me and that triggers my own pain because i haven't addressed that and i haven't processed it i probably will run away but that has nothing to do with you that has everything to do with me and i think that's the really important part i the analogy i like using is dishwashers if somebody came to sell a dishwasher to me and i'm like oh i don't use dishwashers I'm not interested. None of that has anything to do with the salesperson trying to sell it to me. The rejection has nothing to do with them. It's where I am at my life. And if somebody rejects me in any capacity, that, that's their story. That's not mine. And that's okay. And I think reframing that idea that, you know, everybody, you know, we don't even like everybody. Why are we expecting anyone to like us? And we are forfeiting so much quality, connection, authenticity, and vulnerability in the name of being likable, in the name of being accepted by everybody. And again, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be accepted and liked. These are age generational, you know, pieces of our software that kept us alive in our small tribes forever. So there's no there's nothing wrong with that. We'll always feel this need to want to be accepted. But we just have to be mindful that we don't trade authentic beauty and love for that. Mm-hmm. You've also talked about how on social media, you know, the likes, we get this external validation and now we can measure how much people love us by those likes, which is extremely (laughs) unhealthy, right? And so what advice would you give someone who chases external validation or a sense of self-worth from others? And uh, I I also wanted to add that you said uh, on a recent podcast with Jay Shetty uh, on his podcast On Purpose, you said, we want to be chosen or chased, but if we know ourselves well and we have the love and confidence, we won't need that. I was like, Mm -hmm. yes, (laughs) but how do we get there? You know, the the simple but not easy answer is prioritizing our self-respect over our self-esteem. I think, you know, the more self-respect you have, the less self-esteem you need. The less self-respect you have, the more self-esteem you need. Self-esteem being validation outwardly, self-respect being validation inwardly. So I say 
creating that stronger relationship with yourself, you know, doing things that you're proud of regularly. I think, again, we, we're in, we've established a culture where we can even outsource our pride. You know, someone that looks like me did something, you know, let, let's say, uh, you know, Jagmeet Singh won the leadership for the, I grew up with this guy. He's a friend. That's awesome. But, I, you know, can I be proud of his accomplishment? I can be proud for him, but I can't be proud just because he looks like me. Or we'll be like, oh, you know, the first woman to be on the moon. And then now all women should be proud. We've created this culture that we can take pride in other people's accomplishments. When really what we're saying is whoever we are and however we identify, we're not ashamed. And I think there's, you know, it's, it's not black and white. To not be ashamed doesn't mean you should be proud. It just means you're not ashamed. And um, instead, let's reserve pride for our accomplishments, what, we, what we've done, what we're doing. So when we create self-respect, it comes through doing things that we're proud of, honoring our commitments. You know, if you say you're going to wake up at a certain time, wake up at a certain time, doing hard things, having expectations for yourself that you can keep being easy on yourself but also you know having standards having expectations being consistent all of these things putting that that actual energy and effort into that will make us feel better about ourselves and then we'll spend less time chasing it outwardly because outward validation as i said social media has now designed a space where it's like to the exact amount of people it it lets you know how they feel and then that subtly suggests who you need to be Mm -hmm. you know I posted a video of my book and it got this many likes. Then I posted a picture of me in a swimsuit and it got this many likes. Then I posted a picture <laughs> of my family and it got this many likes. And then I post a picture of my dog and it got, and it was like, okay, well, according to the data, I should post more swimsuit pictures, you know? And then you subtly become that, you know, and you're, and you're, you're losing your sense of self and becoming that. And my therapist has said something to me recently because I, I wasn't participating in social media a lot until I started promoting the book. Right. She said, she said, just make sure they're finding you for the right reasons. And I thought, you know, instead of do all the right things to make them find you. And I think that's what we do right now. Let's do mm-hmm. all the right things to get attention. Let's do all the right things to get noticed, which includes infamy, which includes being polarizing, which includes clickbaity, which includes self-victimhood, which includes anything, you know, just being a car crash, a car wreck that everyone's going to stare at as they drive by. Whereas for me, it's like, I want I I am a I, I put words together. I'm an artist. I have craft. Let me just practice my craft and get better at it. And the better I get at my craft, the less people I'm in competition with, and and the more people will appreciate it. And you know I can sustain myself and pay my bills. And that requires boring, monotonous repetition and work that nobody sees. You know Kobe Bryant was practicing at four in the morning when nobody saw. They only saw the game highlights. And I think it's the same thing with us. The most important things that we do in our lives can't be romanticized, can't be turned into an adventure. You know, it's brushing our teeth, eating broccoli. It's doing all these different things. And I think that's really important. So focusing on self-respect over self-esteem is important. And also just recognizing the addictive quality of our self-esteem, the addictive quality of outside validation. So, you know, if you don't want to eat junk food, you don't bring it in your house. You don't fill your cupboards up with potato chips and, and cookies and then rely on your willpower to stay away from you. Just don't, you know, it starts at the grocery store. You just don't bring that stuff in your house. So even when you are craving sugar in mm-hmm. the middle of the night, it's, it's become that much more difficult to get. And we're in a society that's trying to make that even easier. Can I just press buttons on your phone and then someone will deliver anything to you? And, mm-hmm. you know, that these vices 
convenience plus vice is, is a weapon formed against you. So I would suggest if you don't need to be on it, get off of social media. And this is coming from a person with a large following and a blue check mark. And it's like, <laughs> even even for me, you know, if you listen to this, you know, if you're listening to this conversation anytime after the spring of 2023, you know, my social media will just be clips of my interviews. I, I won't be on there. I, I will have taken social media off my phone and I will have hired somebody to post clips of all my podcast interviews endlessly. And that'll be my only existence in this space because on a day-to-day basis, I don't want to be checking my phone and Mm -hmm. going through this uh, slot machine of depression, comparing myself to other people, feeling like I'm not enough. Uh, And then, oh, look, a cute puppy video. It was all worth it, you know, and and it's it's just a time suck. You know, I want to commit my life to to becoming world-class at the things that I do. And that requires focus and attention. And that's not going to come from watching five second videos endlessly on a loop. Agreed. We always tell our listeners to be mindful about those who they follow. A lot of the Mm. times I think a lot of people can agree with this feeling is I'll look at my phone and then I'll be anxious. I'm like, oh, why am I anxious? Oh yeah. I just saw all of these pictures that made me feel some type of envy or made me feel less than. So you have to be so mindful with social media. But I have to say humble that your social media is very authentic. You are very authentically yourself, even in your writings. And what I love most in your books is that you constantly remind your readers that you want to hear from them and that you are grateful for us listening to your words. And even in your first book, Unlearn, which is amazing, it was just incredibly relatable, just all these life lessons and reminders about, yeah, like, you should see it this way. You should you should take this belief that you had and and let go of it if it's not serving you anymore. It's really, really powerful. And that's good to hear that you're going to be stepping back in a way because you recognize that it's not helpful for you. It's not healthy for you. And, and, and I, I was already off. Like I was off for two years and I had, oh, wow. it, on, I had it on autopilot. And then I actually had a conversation with Jay Shetty about this probably back in the spring. I'm like, my book's coming out. I'm going to have to go back on social media. I don't like this game. And what he said was pick a start date, pick an end date, and let let it be disciplined. So you're not diving back into the world and you're going to swim in it. He goes, pick a start date, pick an end date, rely on discipline. And also, what are the parts of, of marketing a book that you do enjoy? He goes, just quadruple your efforts there. So I'm like, I love doing podcast interviews. He's like, okay. He goes, do as many of those as possible. So you have to be on social media less. And mm-hmm. um, and I think, again, we we sometimes think about it very binary like it's either this or it's either that and it's like no there's so many different options in between so i did spend so much time off and you know and in the moment i spent it on and and i and you're absolutely right i have i'm so fortunate because that's such a wonderful community of, of readers and listeners on my page that they saw they noticed when i started coming back on and you know they were teasing me being like look, oh. look who's back and also being like <laughs> you know like your th- like your content's working like they would they would be like, you know, I would, I would make funny content about having to make content. And they, you know, they would be like, look, it's working. I didn't know you had a book out until you made the stupid video. So keep making stupid videos, Humble. And and they're, they're doing it with an air of sarcasm because they know I don't want to be here. And I think that level of authentic relationships is something that we all crave. And I learned that the hard way because when I first, you know, I first started in music and, and spoken word poetry, 
and you were told that your success is when you go on stage and you're not surrounded by friends and family. Because obviously when you do a show, your friends and family show up. Yeah. And you're supposed to do a show and it's supposed to be full of strangers in the audience. And then I quickly realized, no, you're never supposed to have a stranger in the audience. Even the people that you don't know, you need to, they, you need to create a relationship where they are also friends and family. And I, I realized, and that only comes through authenticity. That only comes through vulnerability. And also... The big lesson I learned in 2022 is the reward for whatever game you play is that you keep getting to play it. And that's positive and negative. If you if you keep putting up with somebody's BS, your reward is continually putting up with their BS. Definitely. You know, yeah. If you play the social media game, make the click, you know, make the little goofy dances and do the clickbaity stuff, then your reward is getting to do more of that. You know, so for me, I realized I have to decide what I want to do. Instead of saying, no, no, I just have to play this game a little bit longer and then I can do whatever I want. And mm -hmm. it's like, no, you got to do it from day one. You have to make the stuff that you want to make from day one and you have total room to evolve and change. And I think for me, that's become a big thing where it's in this world, especially on social media, where everybody is pretending and it's all for display purposes only. And behind the scenes, they're, they're going through it like everybody else. That's just an extra 10,000 pound weight on our shoulders. So for me, and, and I appreciate you saying nice things about my page. And even then, like you don't know when I'm at the farmer's market or when I'm on a flight. Oh, or, yeah. You know, I don't. And and I do have that side to me. And I, I do. I mean, yeah, if you want to see that side to me, I have my, my it's my puppy's Instagram. I made an Instagram for her. And like, oh, my God, my puppy's on a boat. Let's take let's take 20 <laughs> selfies. Oh, my God. You know, That's I fun. took her to an event. Let's 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 make her take a picture beside the photo wall. Oh, my God. I bought her a Halloween costume. Like, you know, all like the actual social media stuff that people do. I live that through her. And, you know, so I won't do it for me. If I'm on a yacht, I'm not taking a picture. If she's on a tugboat, I'm taking a picture. And I think from that standpoint, I scratch that itch in that way. But that's also like she's she's un unaffected by the likes and the comments and the follows. So it's possible from that capacity. But I think for me, I am, I've learned, especially through writing these books. And I think now that, you know, this is my third major book out, that the process really is, all I'm really doing is tearing down these walls. And the more of these walls I tear down, especially with this one, this one, I, I, I squeeze out everything in my sponge. It's made me hypersensitive to the world. It's made me hyper vulnerable to the world. So I have to be extremely mindful of who I spend my time with and what I do. And and in this world, especially living out here in, in LA, it's, you know, you're in, you're in Hollywood. It's, you know, this is, this is a, this is, this place is, does a really good job of reminding you, 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 you exist in a spectrum of either you can do more or you, you ain't shit. Mm -hmm. That's, that's it. Everybody here is reminded. There's a, there's a totem pole here. You are not at the top. The totem pole is completely greased up and you are surrounded by people who are enthusiastically still trying to climb it. And that makes you think that you need to climb it as well, and that you're not good enough as you are. And you'll never find somebody who feels like they're good enough as they are, because there's always somebody else with more. And um, anxiety is a effective fuel. I'm not saying it's a good fuel, but it's an effective fuel. And you realize a lot of people, especially out here, they're, they've accomplished a lot, but they're just they're, they're running off of anxiety. And, you know, they may not be struggling to pay their bills, but they're constantly in survival mode for relevance and, and and ego identity. Definitely. I, I think it was in your book on learn you, you mentioned, you said a friend of yours said, 
oh, well, you should have some type of mirage. Like you shouldn't contact everybody who reaches out or, or respond or don't be so close with your community. You know, you mm. have to have this like this prestige in a way. And mm. you're like, no, I'm just going to be myself. And honestly, I really believe that your community has just grown and grown because of that. And I I really appreciate that because I I think it's rare. It's not as common as, it, as that I, I believe it should be. You know, I think people feel like they do need to put on this front. And I want to I want to share a quick story. I used to live in Hong Kong and mm. I had the opportunity to meet Kobe Bryant. And it was one of the coolest experiences in my life. And I was able to, able to have a 30 minute conversation with him. Whoa. And in that conversation, I was like, wow, you are just so raw and real. And just I got to realize, you know, the everyday mundane life that he lived in ways that most people weren't aware of. And, you know, just how down to earth he was and how much wisdom he had inside of him. And I was like, wow. And it's just it's nice to see that because I see that same thing in in you in the sense where you're just you're not just that, but you are that insult on social media. You're that out in the world. And I appreciate that so much because, I mean, it made me feel closer to your words and it made me really, really take in your words in a different way, because I know that it's coming from an authentic place. But this leads me to my next question. In your book, you said, quote, we have to clean out the clutter of outdated beliefs and ideas and understandings of love. And you mentioned that they're learned from religion, society, rom-coms and tribal thinking. And I'm curious, how did your outdated beliefs and ideas around love show up in your unhealthy patterns in your dating life and in your relationships? And what did you do to let go of them? Oh, wow. That's, that's a great question. I want to be specific. So what I realized was I, my experiences with racism had me feeling like I didn't belong. And I was, I was not a definition of, of, of beauty in any capacity. So then I outsourced that by trying to like find the most symmetrical faced partner on the planet. And, you know, like having, finding, you know, only being around women who, who, were like models or, 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 or things like that, which was like super externally validating, whether we had a connection or not. And I found myself only doing that, not because, oh, I find this attractive. And, and I did, but it was also like I enjoyed the compliments that came with it. And um, it helped me realize the dangers of compliments. Compliments are, could be way more dangerous than insults. If somebody compliments you for something that isn't even authentically you, and then all of a sudden you work twice as hard to maintain that illusion in itself. And, and that was one of them where I realized like, okay, well, you, you, know, you know, you need to have a, a partner that is red carpet ready all the time. And, you know, and I would always imagine myself with, the, with these people on red carpets, even though I'm not even going on red carpets anymore. And it's like, these, these aren't even things that I do. And it helped me, you know, and I started to ask myself, why is this the case? Because there's still a person in front of me with, you know, their baggage and their red flags and our incompatibilities and the the excitement of, of their beauty was only going to last for so long before we had to get into the weeds of authentic connection. Why was that? And then I had to go back and be like, because I always never felt like I was accepted. You know, I growing up, I mean, even if I was 10 years old now, I don't find myself represented anywhere you don't see people that look like me on television you don't see any of that and these are subtle cues again they're they're not explicit they're subtle you feel like you don't belong and you try your best to figure out how to belong and you know and i saw that and 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 you know i got into modeling just to feel like oh i i, I am accepted i am you know not understanding that that's an industry that accepted me because i was the height 
and I was sample size. I already fit in the clothes. So that was the reason and, you know, the exploitation of diversity. But I think, so for me, it was like these, these subtle beliefs required me to be aware of as to why I was doing them and what I needed to do uh, to change that. So for example, in terms of what I started to pursue in, you know, romantic relationships is I had to, you know, through therapy, figure out an authentic list of what I as an individual want. And one of the activities was reliving my entire love life out loud and finding the moments that energized me and then be like, oh, well, let's keep that. You know, like the first girl that said, the world needs to hear your ideas. Someone that encouraging, I need that. Versus a girl later on was like, oh, but what if you don't make this? Do you have a backup plan? And realizing that that like took, took you know, nothing nothing to, to say negative about that individual, but that took air out of my tires. You know? Totally. Yeah. So paying attention to what were the things that energized me and creating a list that way from all departments, whether it's financial, sexual, travel, everything, just being like, what, how do you spend time with a person? What were my best memories? What were my least exciting memories? And creating a list that way. And then now I have a list of what I authentically want, not just what everybody thinks they want, because that's a very vague list. And then taking that list and being like, well, what, how do these things make me feel? You know, why, why, why do I want somebody who encourages me? Like, because I'm self-employed and because there's no structure. I'm not, you know, I'm not in med school. I don't have a, I don't have a syllabus in front of me. I'm figuring this out every day as I go. And it gets exhausting, you know, and I'm sure you can relate to this and it gets exhausting and I don't know what to do. And sometimes I just want to be reinforced and have someone just be like, look, you're, you're on the right path. Look like, you know, and, you know, I had an ex-girlfriend that, you know, a few years back, I was spending a lot of time with YouTube comedians and making funny videos with them. And I had an ex-girlfriend who was living in Dubai phone me. And, you know, she had since gotten married and had kids. And she was like, what are you doing? You, you've fallen off track. You're spending so much time hanging out with people and everyone's starting to know you as, you know, this psychic character. And no one's understanding the important work that you're here to do. She's like, stop doing that. Get back on track. And like things like that fill me up. So I know that's what I what I actually require versus somebody who has their nails done or somebody who, as I said, you know, want a genetic lottery. And I think from that standpoint, it's, I think it's really important. So the overall answer is self-awareness and figuring out why you chase the things you do, picking up on our patterns. You know, many of us as kids felt that we had to earn love because we didn't understand that those who raised us had lives outside of us. And if they weren't having a good day or if they didn't receive us the way we want to be received, it's not always our fault. So then we find ourselves comfortable in a world of earning and chasing love. And then we find we find that attractive in the partners we meet. So, you know, I'd, I would reject people who made it easy and I would pursue people who made it hard and thinking it was a fun game, not realizing that it's not a fun game. And this is me just finding people who, who match the trauma of my past. And so picking up on my own patterns and realizing why they're there and realizing that I'm never chasing a person, I'm chasing a feeling that I think is going to come from a person. The same way we're not chasing a goal. You know, you may have financial goals or you may have goals with this podcast and you're like, I want to achieve X, Y, Z. You're not, you're not chasing X, Y, Z. You're chasing the feeling that you think you're going to get when you have that goal achieved. And then you get there and it doesn't feel the way you think because yeah. we can manifest, but we can definitely not emotionalize as well as we think. And then you're like, oh, I just probably need more. And I think for me, that's that's been the case. So just, I've had goals in the world of dating and achieved them. And then being like, oh, wait, this doesn't feel as good. Maybe I didn't do it well well enough, or maybe I need more. And then I realized that I'm I'm closed off. 
I'm not going to receive any blessings. I'm not going to re- I'm not going to realize any love until I do the work internally. And that's what prompted this journey of this book, which is, you know, me opening up and saying, I suck at love. So now I'm about to go to school, learn as much as I can. And this book is my notes. This book is not my declaration of being a love guru. This book is me being at the front of the class, taking as meticulous notes as possible and then translating them down in, into something digestible for everybody else and sharing it with you. It's so great that you took notes. You took the effort to say, hey, like this made me feel really good, this high moment. I'm going to remember that and I'm going to write it down. And then, or this person pulled me down. I'm going to remember that. That's not healthy for me mentally, especially, you know, when you date someone and you're working for yourself, right? Which is a struggle in itself every day. Mm -hmm. You want to be with someone who amplifies you and believes in you and who brings you, encourages you to do the things that you want to do, but also someone who's like, hey, like, you shouldn't do that, you know, gives you some good constructive feedback, right? As yeah. you said, you gave an example of that. So you mentioned modeling. I was a model for many, many, many years. And my stories, it's I think you'll find it interesting. So throughout my childhood, I was never one of the popular girls. I was very focused on my studies, was very much a nerd. Then I started modeling, and you know, I always never felt good enough before I started modeling. So I never felt good enough. I never felt beautiful. I never felt like I was, I fit in with everybody else because I got made fun of a lot. And then when I went to the modeling industry, I got all this attention. And my goal with that was not to be told that I was beautiful. It was to collect as many friends as I could. Mm. I was like, wow, like I have all these amazing friends now. Like this is so great. But then when it came into my dating life, I started dating people who saw me as a model. And for me, and even just introducing myself as that's what I do was a huge struggle and identity crisis for me because I was like, I'm more than a model. And like that was stuck inside me. I was like, no, like I'm not just not just my outside and my inside. Mm-hmm. And for me, I just found that I was dating people who didn't really make an effort to really get to know who I was. And so for me, that was a struggle. I ended up continually continued to model, but doing other things that I that I enjoyed, like writing and podcasting now. And now I'm able to have deeper relationships with people because I'm looking, I'm going after people that see, see me, uh, mm-hmm. see me outside of my, my exterior self. Right. And so, and believe in me and I'm definitely out there and try to be more vulnerable. And that's why your insights really, really stuck with me in, in a great way. It just made me reflect on, oh yeah, these are my unhealthy patterns. You know, this is, that was an unhealthy pattern. I still struggle with the feeling of not feeling good enough. And it's not just from my, my days before modeling. It's those childhood experiences that didn't make me feel like I fit yeah. in, you know, even things that teachers told me, things that a parent would say that kind of pulled me down. And I think that that has caused me to be someone who doesn't know how to set boundaries in my personal life or my business life because I'm not a fighter, I'm a fixer. And I don't want to upset anybody because out of fear that they're going to leave me. And you know, I don't want to be vulnerable because I'm scared that if I'm vulnerable, then they're going to leave me. But I'm learning to unlearn these ideas. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm curious, like, why do you find that it's challenging for us to set boundaries? And, and why is setting boundaries so important and worth it in the end? As I said, I think it goes back to our, our biological need for acceptance. As, as I said, like a lot of this stuff is biological and it served a purpose for a long time, for tens of thousands of years, because rejection from others would have actually meant death. If you got rejected from your tribe, you would have been ostracized. And we see that in the animal world even now, you know, lions get ostracized from their pride and 
they eventually starve to death. So I think the fear of rejection is really the fear of death and it's kind of ancient and it's in us and it's in this old software that we cannot in any capacity delete and all we can do is become aware of it. And, and I think, I think, I think the, the term, uh, you use the word fixer. I think that the actual term is fawn, fawner. You know, it's a kind of, kind of being the politician, trying to make everybody happy all the time. So it's not fight, it's not flight, it's fawn. It's like win everybody over, settle the conflicts down and all of this. The reason it's important to have boundaries is making everybody else happy is going to be at the expense of making yourself happy. Making everybody like you is going to be at the expense of you not liking yourself. And also, when you don't establish boundaries and people start to step all over you, you're going to experience resentment. And resentment is such a, people want to speak about real toxicity. Resentment is toxicity. And you're holding, and you're just burning inside, and and you're in such a dark place. And you're making it even harder for any love to be realized, uh, living in a world of resentment. So in terms of like, you know, the big five personality traits, there's um, agreeableness and you know, I know me as an individual, I score low on agreeableness. So I'm not, I'm not shy in conflict. I'm not shy speaking my mind, but the, you know, and that can not make me everybody's favorite person, but it means I don't walk or I don't walk around holding grudges because everybody finds out how I feel often in the moment. And I might over, over correct and not be pleasant all the time with it, but there's no grudges to be held because everybody knows how I feel. And, um, those boundaries are established in that capacity now does that mean i don't say yes when i when i should say no? I, I say yes when i should say no yeah all the time i still have those situations whether they're work opportunities whether they're personal opportunities or what what have you and we all have to work on that and i think it's just realizing that look this is still coming at a cost and if we establish our boundaries if we go back and address the reasons we are trying to please everybody if we go back and do that necessary work and that necessary work again i don't want to be airy with this that work can simply be revisiting those moments with a journal over and over and over again until they completely lose their charge taking every traumatic experience you've ever had writing it out in as much detail as possible writing it out with as much emotional detail uh, as much logical detail as much as as much visual detail as possible and writing it over repeatedly over days until it doesn't have the same charge that it normally had when you kept it in. That's enough to, to release some of the stuff. It doesn't have to be ayahuasca. It doesn't have to be meditation. It can just be visiting it enough. It's kind of like when you go through a breakup and you tell all your friends the same stories over and over and over again. Eventually, it just dulls out the story for you. You know mm-hmm. so What you're doing is the sun is a disinfectant. You're getting it out of you. Our thoughts and our feelings are so much heavier inside of us. And when we, you know, and I always think about this when it comes to productivity, I will like, I have so much to do. I have so much to do. And I'll pick out a sticky note and I'll write down my to-do list and it'll be like three things. And I'll be like, oh, I actually <laughs> yeah, I don't have so much to do. Then you why see did it, it feel? Yeah. Why did it feel so heavy? Or even sometimes even I have, I have assistants and we'll have Zoom calls. I'm like, we have a lot to chat about. And then like within eight minutes, we'll be done. I'll be like, they'll be like, that's it. And I'll be like, it felt like there was more, but I had everything written down. And it's like, no, I just had to get it off of me. I just had right. to get it out. And I think doing that internal work was like, why do I need to be accepted? Why? And I think what people are experiencing with Humble the Poet is me doing that internal work outside. Unlearn was me writing myself letters. 
You know, that's all it was. That entire book is just me writing to myself at a time when I couldn't afford a therapist. That's all that book is. I'm just talking to myself. And and, and going back to, you know, your, your your modeling story, I think the irony of all that is I've experienced it the other way, too, where people start to put you in a one compartment. So like, OK, you're the beautiful individual and that's what I'm going to define you as. And you can't be capable of being anything else. And then oftentimes I get viewed as, oh, he's the super smart guy. So he's going to be doing super smart stuff all the time or, you know, the sapiosexuals and all this type of stuff. But it's like, no, I'm a, I'm a regular, I'm literally a normal regular guy that likes going to basketball games, that parties, that makes mistakes. All You know, all these books are a culmination of the lessons I've learned from the dumb things I've done. I'm not, I know I don't sit at home and meditate all day. I play video games. I have fun. I'm, I'm a <laughs> completely normal everyday person from that capacity and it's like in the same way that you're not just a model even when you're modeling you you can you know you can be an intellectual you can be an athlete you can be a chef you can be you know a politician you can be whatever the hell you want you can be more than one thing and mm-hmm. that goes back to social media social media encourages you to be one thing and known for one thing right and yep. and, and that's where these challenges exist and where we're like okay well how am i defined how do people see me and it's like and now all of us have these personal brands you know, and like you're not Nike. You don't need to worry about how people see you. You don't right. need to worry about creating a story around that to sell yourself to other people. Even when you're a business, you don't have to do this. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a business, but at the same time, you know, there's, you know, and and as authentic as I try to be, like I still have a whole other. I have other sides to me that have nothing to do with humble the poet stuff. I gamble. I love gambling. You know, I do stuff. I do things that are considered vices. I do, I have a normal life. I'm just a person that likes to think about things deeply and i have a lot of friends who are cognitively strong and we use our wit to insult each other and you know i i have probably plenty of things in my group chats that are inappropriate and all of this stuff but like that's life and that's me and that's and i'm completely fine with that and one of the reasons i am trying to be as authentic as possible is because we should all be as authentic as possible so we don't have to worry about judgment and things like cancel culture and all this other stuff because we're all humans and we're all flawed and we should be. And, you know, I think the only people that pretend to be perfect are politicians. And, you know, that's their job. Their job is to pretend to care about people to retain power. And I'm not a politician and I don't have any desire to be that. And I don't want to suffocate under that mask, you know. Right. And I think that the self-love that, that we're talking about is taking all the love that we want to give somebody else and giving it to ourselves. You know, hugging ourselves, taking ourselves out on a date, looking at ourselves naked and complimenting ourselves, doing all the things that we wish other people would do. And for some reason, their words are more valuable because we admire them. And oftentimes we admire them because we have a limited view of who they are. And we've decided that they're somebody worth whose opinions are worth more than ours. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we are with ourselves, you know, our bodies keeping us up. This is the relationship that matters. And then when that relationship becomes healthy, there is so much love realize that that love can be shared without expectation you just have it to give it and you don't care if you get it back and i think that's those are the most beautiful moments we already have those with our families we already Mm -hmm. have those with our friends where we don't really need it reciprocated and the reminder that those are imperfect individuals too and none of that denies them the love that we want to give them we're all imperfect and and you said in your book you said self-love is being your own best friend Mm -hmm. strengthen your friendship with yourself You also said the happiest people are the ones who have the magic amount of enough in their life. Enough is defined by them. 
Mm-hmm. And and I think, again, many of us can relate to the feeling of not feeling good enough, which can cause us to seek approval from others. And I'm curious because I'm thinking in the present day, I mean, even with our fa- my family, like I love my family, they're wonderful, very close with my family. But at the same time, I mean, sometimes unhealthy things are said, unhealthy things are done. So I'm curious, how do you manage unhealthy family members or peers or ongoing social pressures that make you feel less than? I like that word manage. That's that's exactly what it is. It's yeah. completely managing it. It's you know, I'm I'm come I'm going to the I'm coming to the East Coast to do press. So I'm doing a week in New York and a week in Toronto. And, you know, nice. now that I'm not in Toronto, I'm, I'm gonna stay with my my parents in, in Etobicoke. And, you know, after a couple of hours, you know, I was like, I can't be here anymore. So sometimes it's like, okay, let me go stay with some of my friends downtown or let me go get an Airbnb or let me go do something depending on what has to be done. And that was one of the conscious decisions of not going home during the holidays. I had a book coming out. I couldn't, the last thing I wanted to do was be in an environment out of my control. So I think the managing from that standpoint is important. As I said, establishing boundaries, just who can get to you, how often they can get to you, I think is extremely important we can love our family dearly. That doesn't mean personality wise we gel and all of that is, is the case. So, you know, I, and and I am a fortunate individual. Like I have two sisters that we get along. I get along with amazingly. My sister just, one of them just visited me, was here for, uh, for a week over the holidays. Amazing. And we, had a, and we had a blast and we had a blast doing nothing. You know, we just, you know, she cleaned my apartment like 18 times and she <laughs> mommed, she just mommed me the whole time. But, you know, we went out to nice dinners and I got to do a lot of, I got to be a tourist in this city. I don't, I don't do touristy things by myself. So I got to be a tourist through her and take her places that I wouldn't normally go myself and, and try restaurants that I wouldn't normally try. So, you know, that can work, you know, in, in, in a small dose. So I think the way we can manage it is be mindful of that. And I think for maybe some of your younger listeners who are, who are living at home, a good quote I heard is living home is not, living at home with your parents isn't rent free. The rent is just your mental health. So mm-hmm. oftentimes I, I tell, you know, very young, very, very young followers, get out as quickly as you can. It'll it'll be the best for your relationship. If that means you're 16 now, get a job at a fast food restaurant and save it all. Save it all. So the second you're 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 legally allowed to leave, go and go on good terms. Go on good terms. And you know, the amount of education you'll get getting out of your house is, you know. That's yeah, it's priceless. priceless. Yeah, it's completely priceless, <laughs> and you know you'll have a healthier relationship with that distance. Distance creates beauty in so many ways, and I think distance helps love. And um, we just have to abandon ideas that we need to be really close to people and and learn about codependent relationships. Oftentimes, the generation before us, you know, they they weren't privy to attachment styles and codependent versus interdependent, and and how to be emotionally available. Many of our parents were in survival mode. So I don't hold it against them for not having the tools to to be pleasant all the time. But just, you know, enjoy them in moderation in small doses and, and do that by controlling your environment. And if that means working at a fast food joint and stacking your money so you can pay rent somewhere else, by all means, do it. Very well said. I wanted to add that I read that uh, according to psychiatrist and psychoanalyst John Bowlby, who founded Attachment Theory, our Mm. relationship with our parents during childhood has an overarching influence on our social and intimate relationships. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Daddy issues are real. Mommy issues are real. Yeah. I was like, I can relate to that. And I'm curious as someone who learned to suppress their emotions as a child, how did you let go of this mindset? Like, what was the start of when you realized, hey, like... 
I need to start loving myself. I think the first idea that that helped a lot was realizing thoughts in my head have my voice, but they're not my voice. And I think that came from probably through dating and realizing, you know, with, with some of these, you know, beautiful individuals that I was dating there, the, the greatest source of their insecurities came from like their mom, you know, and, and, and it was such unique things that there was one, one person I was with and she would always ask if we had time, like an extra 45 minutes for her to straighten her hair. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. If you want, I like it. It's fine the way it is like curly. She's like, oh, really? My mom always told me it was ugly and it was curly. And, and as a men know, we don't notice the hair, you know, as much as women might notice hair. So for me, sometimes I wouldn't even notice if it was curly or not. Yeah. And nor did I know it took 45 <laughs> minutes to an hour to straighten it. I didn't know these were things. Um, yeah. Even I have long hair myself, but I don't do anything to my hair. Yeah. And then you start to realize that like many sources of people's insecurities come from their parents. And, you know, she had internalized that to the point where she just told herself curly hair makes me I don't look good with curly hair, which she looked, she looked great with curly hair. You know, it, it wasn't an issue in any capacity. And I'm saying that superficially, like I wouldn't have noticed a difference. I'm not saying that, you know, to be kind, like it, it didn't make a difference. But that helped made me start to think like, well, what are the voices in my head saying to me? And it may not necessarily be superficial, but they can be about how I govern myself, how I spend my money, what should be important, what should matter in life. Then it became the process of letting go of those thoughts and, and, and really questioning. Very rarely are we formulating our own thoughts. We're just carrying thoughts given to us. We didn't sit there and, 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 and do all the work to formulate and come to a conclusion as to why we believe that. So I think for me, you know, it could be everything from how I spend my money. You know, if I'm, I moved to a new place and I was like, oh, should I buy stuff from Ikea because it's cheap and cost effective, realizing that it's going to break and I'm going to have to buy something else right after. Or should I get something decent? And, and I realized I came from my mom and because they were immigrants coming here and they thought saving money was the most important thing. As an entrepreneur, you realize saving time is way more important than saving money. And, you know, I caught myself looking for something on Amazon for an hour where the most expensive version of it was $8. And I was like, okay, I wasted an hour to save $3. <laughs> um, you know, I could have just bought every single option and returned the ones that didn't work. And then you start to realize, like, I, you, I got that from my mom. I got that from her survival method. And, and she still does it. You know, the, she made me a leash for my puppy. You know, like she, and, and it's cute and it's sweet, but this is because she's used to that. Don't buy it. Make it yeah. not realizing that, you know, she's she, and, and she doesn't she's retired. So she has the time to do that. But I think realizing that she, you know, these policies that she had served her in her life at her time. But, you know, we're in a different world and, and, and we can't take the ways of the old. And I, and I make a reference to that in the book about, you know, taking advice from people who weren't even who, who wouldn't have been able to predict Wi-Fi. Ancient wisdom isn't always wise. Human, wisdom around human nature is wise, but, you know, how to govern your entire life, like the world is changing. So I think it's really important to think about the thoughts and beliefs that you have. Write them all down and ask, where did they come from? Why do I believe these things? And most of the time it comes from what we saw on TV, what we learn in religion, tradition, our parents, all of those things. And our, our purpose here is to look at that stuff see how and, and some of it is ageless and, and timeless and, and, and fantastic and beautiful and let's carry that forward and a lot of it is stale and a lot of it needs to get left behind but we need to have that conversation and um 
that just talks again spending time alone reflecting on this stuff with pen and paper you know and a lot of it will reveal itself so you actually also share in your book that you were engaged at one point and yeah. when you were engaged you had tremendous doubt and shame because around that doubt before you initiated the separation and i'm curious what learnings did you gain after you mustered up the courage to communicate your feelings or when did you discover that love starts within you in that experience i think the big thing i learned is we should congratulate people for breaking up more than we should congratulate them for getting married. It's way harder to break up than it is to get married. Also, I think that was a big one. And 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 me and my ex were on good terms. And she had she had also she had actually you know years later, jokingly brought up the idea of throwing a divorce party, which I think is is funny in some capacities. I think I realized it because that that was an individual. I mean, to this day, who is amazing on paper, and everybody knows what that means, like on paper and. Especially in, 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 in my worst fears, my worst fears were revealed when telling friends and family, you know, there was very little support for my decision. They're like, oh, really? But she's so, she's mm-hmm. so awesome. You know what I mean? And, and nothing they were saying was incorrect. You know, I wasn't exiting a toxic situation at all. I was exiting a situation that just wasn't serving me, taking me where I needed to go. And at that point, I couldn't even put it in words. And I, it just, it was just an anxiety and a feeling at that time. And I was, there was a lot of love. There was a lot of attention, a lot of effort. All of that was there. And I was not in a space to receive it. And oftentimes I think about where I would have been had I gone through with that, where I'd be living, how how I would be living. And sometimes I think about some of my friends who were in driving their Teslas in the suburbs and the ones that would, when I was living in, in the city in Toronto, the ones that would, you know, the joke was they got their permission slip signed for a Friday night to come hang out with me. And the amount of steam they had to blow off, you know, it's always, yeah, it's always the married guys who are way more wild than the single ones. And it's, uh, you know, because they don't get out often. And um, I was thinking about, would that have been my life? You know, how would I, how would I have been medicating that? And I think now it's like that created space for me to deal with my shit by myself. And I think what I was doing in that relationship was almost outsourcing it. But also when I wasn't in a space, I wasn't in a space to receive another person. and. it's it's heavy. It's hard, you know, as somebody who's dealing with their stuff, but also an entrepreneur, a self-employed individual, a lot of that was there. So realizing that and then even forgiving myself for ending ending a life journey with somebody. They had they had plans with me. They had a vision for me. They probably stopped thinking about a certain side of their life because I filled that bucket for them. And then I snatched it all away. You know, there was tremendous amounts of guilt. And, and it's not all gone. And even in the, you know, the last chapter I talked about, the last chapter was probably written over this summer. It was written six months after the book was done. And I mentioned that they, you know, revealed to me more things that they had done since the breakup and things that they were doing to cope with the loss that just crushed me, you know, knowing that I put somebody through all of that. That's always challenging, especially, as I said, there wasn't a toxic element to this. There wasn't a, it wasn't a, a negative situation where I'm like, this person is horrible. I think... They're they're a gem, you know, in every capacity. But that doesn't mean they were they were going where I was I was going. So for me, I think that's been a really going easy on myself and realizing that. And it was important because had I gotten support from everybody else, it would have just been external value. Really, like, okay, well, everyone told me I did the right thing. You know, I think the the nicest thing anybody said to me was, "Oh, at least you guys didn't have kids. Mm. If you had kid, had you broken up with them when and you had kids, I would have never talked to you again." 
at least you at least you ended it before other people were going to be impacted by the consequences like stuff like that and it was like wow. yeah everybody else was just like why she was so nice and other people were like oh my god she was so hot like why you know all these like you just hear all these th- and then like i know her family was just like is he okay like they never said a bad thing about me Aww, to this day. That's really you know, great. we hope he's okay we wish him the best like so it was one of those just like all you know the, all the reactions were the exact opposite of what i thought i was going to get all my people were not supportive of the breakup all her people were supportive of it in terms mm-hmm. of their love for me. And I'm just sitting there stewing in guilt. But I've crossed paths with her many times since. And, you know, I dedicated the book to her and the books for her. And yeah. in a conversation with her when I got the first draft, she's like, I'm not reading it. I have no plans on ever reading it. And, you know, understanding that th- there was a beauty that was that came out of this pain in some capacities. And we we are better off family members than partners. We, you know, she knows she has somebody that she can trust on the planet, you know, outside of her family right. that will, that will always be here for in emergency situations only. Of course. I'm yeah. not someone that she calls to if she has a bad day. Right. But I, I said, if you need money, you need to bury your body, you know, you need a place to hide. Uh, I'm somebody that you, you know, you can trust and, and vice versa. So I think from that standpoint, it's there. And I think recognizing that again, there's a template of how we think our life needs to be. And by a certain age, you need to be married or you need to be in a partnership. And it's like, the irony of this is I was talking to to one of my other sisters, my other sister, who, the one who didn't visit me. And we were just talking about bandwidth. And she was like, yeah, six of my friends are going through divorces right now. And she goes, I had to let them know that I don't have the bandwidth to help them because we have a family member currently battling cancer. And she goes, I'm trying to give all my attention to that person. Right. And I was like, S-, you know, and then you, and, and, you know, everybody knows somebody going through a divorce. I have endless members of my family who have gone through divorces. So it's like, you don't know how this stuff's going to play out anyways. And it's just we've been told this is what you do. This is what life is. And I have a mother constantly reminding me of that. And I mentioned that in the book as well. And that's been a rift between us for quite some time. And, and, and you know, as I said, it's not easy. I'm not, this, this, the book isn't about making it easy. The book is about keeping it simple. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And, and, and to, to, to live as a minimalist and have less is, it sounds easy, but it's, it's just simple. It's not easy. It's just, it's simple. It sounds simple. But it's not easy to do. It's, um, it's a, you have to manage it every single day. It's completely. About, it's yeah. about letting go and gaining more. But it's it's you don't just wake up a minimalist and you're a minimalist forever. <laughs> you have to manage all of this internal clutter. We like to say, and I like that you mentioned that in this breakup of yours, it's not just the person that's broken up with; it's the person who's breaking up that also needs that support. And I think sometimes we forget about that, like how challenging it is to be the person breaking up with another, especially if that person has really done nothing wrong. It's just not the right fit. And, you know, you had, I guess, in this experience, you were still, you didn't fully love yourself and you had that addiction to approval. And, you know, maybe it was. And I'm still there. Yeah. You know, as I said, like this, you know, I haven't figured it all out at all. Right. But back then it was even, it was even worse. You know, and, um, you know, going back to your point of support, I didn't tell anybody for for months. And and, and one of the first things she did after three weeks was call one of my friends, ask them if they knew about the breakup. And they said no. And she's like, I "I knew he wouldn't tell you. And then five friends showing up to my door and they're like, you know, (gasps) you're not going to even tell us what you're going through. You're going to like sit in your apartment by yourself and deal with this because that's where I was at. Thinking that I need to deal with this by myself, and I and, and if it's miserable, I deserve it because I ended something with a beautiful person, and yeah, so it's like a masochism associated with it as well. 
but going back to suck it up house, like suck it up situation where you're like, you only, you know, for me, it was like, you only reach out to people in dire emergencies. You know, if I got in a car accident and if I need to get picked up and I'm stranded, call a friend. But this felt like, no, I don't, I don't want to mm-hmm. hear people tell me that I made a mistake. I don't want to hear their opinions. I don't want to hear anything. So I isolated myself, making it even worse. And literally it was her telling my friends weeks later and having them reach out to me. And then, you know, having to tell my parents was a super hard thing because oh, I can't even six, imagine. six months before we announced the engagement and what that had done and, you know, their cultural beliefs and my mom waiting forever and my mom thinking I was gay up until that point because she's like, how come he's not getting married? Like literally. Of course. And yeah. yeah. So it was like, you know, and then her finally having, and then her having like real stress, like real stress. Her yeah. not being able to sleep, her her developing an ulcer, like, you know, and you're sitting there, you can't tell your mom to suck it up. Like, the stress is real for her because these are real values for her. And, you know, having to to go through all of that and address a lot of that was, you know, or and is, can still be challenging even years later. But, I mean, this is what self-respect comes from. Is this comes from doing the hard things. And I think the big, the big lesson that I've learned is you're not ending a relationship. You're ending a version of yourself that had, that was existing there. And what I realized is that's what I was really ending. I saw where I was headed if I stayed there. And that's who I ended it with. That mm-hmm. person no longer exists. And 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 then again, I'm still shedding stuff. Like I, I think about it all the time where it's like, I'm saving, I'm investing. And I'm like, well, I don't even have a partner or kids or a potential partner or kids. Why am I doing all of this? It's, it's me and the puppy, right? And I'm, you know, why, what, you know, I'm not, if everything works out, I, I'll, out, I'll outlive her as well. And what what is what what am I doing all of this for? Why am I constraining myself when I've and especially and I think the one beautiful thing about LA is people here have such diverse lifestyles and it's completely accepted. You can any lifestyle under the sun is completely normalized over here. You know, you can be married to your houseplant and no one will look at you funny out here. It's, it's and it's I think so that's true. Beauty. Yeah, <laughs> and and that's the one thing I do. And I think the, the friends that I have that love it here are ones who generally are living non-traditional lifestyles, whether they're part of the LGBTQ community or polyamory or something like that. And I think even coming here and meeting people, meeting women who are single in their forties who are have no desire to have children, never did, and you know are spending their money freely. And, you know, just, you know, and living their best lives and still partying till 4 a.m. and not being told that you can't do this because you're a certain age. I think there's a beauty to that and that freedom and being like, there, you know, because there isn't a template of how you need to live. And both of my sisters have kids and in front of and in front of their kids who are all teenagers, they have told me don't have kids Mm. in front of the kids. Like It's exhausting. I'm glad I have them. I'm glad I got through it. But it's exhausting. You know. And it's just right. funny to look at the kids' faces and just be like, okay, uh, thanks. Thanks, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we, we went through it. We did it. But, you know, it's a story that we're being told. I like that you bring that up about Los Angeles because when I lived there and leaving Toronto where the mindset in Toronto is if you're walking on the street in the middle of the day during the work week and you're not working, people are like, what are you doing? Whereas yeah. in L.A., People work at all hours and they have (laughs) or don't work (laughs) or don't work or have crazy stories. And there's that acceptance. And and I'm sure just in your travels and in all the work that you do, you've realized or you're better at managing the judgment of others and, and judging yourself. And I think that's something that you continue to manage. But maybe in this experience with your ex partner, 
you realize, oh, I just, I need to let go of that. And I need to be able to share these feelings of mine with my friends. And uh, I wanted to bring up a quote that you said in your book. It was kind of hilarious. You're like, approval is a salty potato chip. Once you have one, you will want more. And you admit that you had an addiction to approval and, or maybe you still admit that. Still do, Um, yeah. You know, like, I mean, there's ideas, some of the ideas you threw around were like letting go of perfectionism. That's personally something that I need to let go of, you know, the idea of not being enough, self-doubt, you know, reflecting on your childhood ego. And you also spoke about secrets, but uh, we'll leave that for our listeners to read about. But thank you so much for today. This has been fantastic. I, I really appreciate your time and how incredibly down to earth you are and relatable. To close off today, I want to ask you three rapid fire questions. So quick answers. How does someone with self-love show up in the world? Probably a quiet confidence. Probably they view people and, and look at them and say, how can I help you? And being okay, not being okay. Being okay, not being perfect. How are you hoping to influence your readers? I think the only religion worth shoving down everybody's throat is self-awareness. And I think just encouraging everyone to pick up on their patterns and, and, and that's it. Just be, be vigilant about who you are and just pay attention to who you are and, and, and spend time alone by yourself. That's, that's, that's what I want to do. Well, I, I've made a career out of doing that out loud. That's, that's all I'm doing. You know, I'm journaling and we, we, we put it in a, in a nice book and I get to sell it and then pay my bills and travel and learn some more stuff and then journal some more and then share it. So I'm extremely lucky in that capacity. And I want everyone to do it. I want every single person because it's, I think, I think of cave drawings and I'm like, why did anybody draw in a cave? You know, they weren't doing it for clout and follows and likes they were, they were doing it because it needed to be done. You know, whether you were warning people about a saber tooth tiger or whether you were telling the story, it needs to be done. And everybody's story needs to be told. There's a million love songs. There's not only one because everybody's unique voice connects with everybody else in a different way. You know, not everyone who reads this book is going to connect with it the way other people will. And then there's Bell Hooks who writes about love. Jay Shetty's dropping a book about love. Those voices are important as well. Everybody's voice and everybody's story matters. And you can express your story in, in a book, in a dance, in mm-hmm. a sculpture, in a painting, in a, in a piece of architecture in the way you do your hair, in the way you wear your clothes. And all of that is super important. We're all storytellers. And we made it this far through knowing our story and sharing our story. Well said. We all want love. You know, I've had my challenges with love over the years. And it's usually because I'm too nice. And I have a funny (laughs) side story. I love Barry's, Barry's Boot Camp. And uh, I was on the treadmill yesterday and been going through some anxiety recently. and, uh, And I fell off the treadmill. And I fell onto my arm and there's this massive bruise on my arm and it's in the shape of a heart. (laughs) I was like, well, silver lining. (laughs) And as you say, we all want love. It's just, we need, we need to be it. Yeah. We just, we just need to, that's, you know, and that's why the the D's in parentheses, right? Like the only way to realize love is to be it, to be love. And we are the source of it. And um, I'm sorry to hear about you on the treadmill. I hope you I hope I hope you heal quickly. And I think it goes back to what I say in the intro about the heart, how we we've reconstructed the heart to make it look beautiful when our actual heart is much more mess. functional than yeah, it's a mess, but it's more <laughs> functional. It serves a purpose. And I think that's important. And lastly, what message would you like to leave our listeners with today? Just never stop learning. Just never stop learning and um chase fun. Chase fun. Just do do chase the fun in life. 
one of the big things that everybody asks when people go to parties out here is like, oh, how are things going? You know, what are you up to? What do you do? And, mm-hmm. everyone, you know, everybody has these pre-rehearsed lines about what they do. And ask somebody, are you having fun? And they have to think about it. They have to think about it. Like, what you know, what do you, oh, we just got a new TV show. We're doing this, this. I go, are yeah, you having yeah. fun? And they're like, am I having fun? And then they think about it. And you'll get a, either a genuine yes or a genuine no, depending on that. And also, you know what? Another good piece of advice that I was given, carry two stories of vulnerability in your pocket that that are light, that wouldn't scare off a stranger that you could tell a stranger. Wow. So, yeah. So if you want to connect with people, be vulnerable. And that doesn't mean deep, dark secrets. So I think one of mine is, you know, this is my, my puppy, this is, she's not my first dog. So I talk about losing my first dog and just the pain of, of, of that. That's not a story that's going to scare away a stranger. No. You know, if I tell them about having a dog for 11 years and just how hard it was after losing him and the, the, the what it felt like losing a dog and seeing dogs on the street and just wanting to give them all hugs. And it's it's vulnerable, but it's light and it's fluffy. Have something in your pocket. So when you talk to a stranger, start with that. So you don't have to have all this other meaningless conversations. Be vulnerable and see what they do. You'll, I love you'll that. invite them to be vulnerable. Yeah. So have, have light vulnerability in your pocket, ready to go with any stranger. Um, nothing too crazy. You don't, you know, don't scare them off. But you know, oh. as I said, me losing my dog is a nice light story that shows vulnerability, but at the same time won't scare away somebody who meets me for the first time. You said that vulnerability is the currency of connection. I was like, I'm writing that down. It's so yeah. true. And it, why not practice is. on strangers? There you go. Every, every every day. And, you know, and the other one too is, you know, compliment people. Compliment people all, you know. I, I think the big thing I learned out here in being in Hollywood, meeting, you meet celebrities, compliment them. Don't tell them you're a big fan. Just compliment them. Like telling Charlize Theron, she has nice earrings, will go a lot farther than telling her you're a big fan and trying to name off all her movies. People just want to be seen. Let somebody know that they made effort today and you see it. I like your shoes. I like the way you, you know, I like that jacket choice. Just, you will, you have no idea how that makes people feel. It will, it will add an inch to their height. They will just immediately prop up and feel like a million bucks. And you have that power to do it with anybody and do it for no other reason than just making people feel better today. And don't always ask people what they do. Say, what makes you happy? Yeah, no. what makes you happy? What do you do for, or who cares what they do? Like, exactly. Who cares do? It doesn't matter. What makes you interesting? What makes you happy? So yeah. thank you so much. And and so where can our listeners find you? Where can they connect with you? Um, on social media at HumbleThePoet, HumbleThePoet.com. You can get the book at HumbleThePoet.com slash love or anywhere books are available around the world. Perfect. And I am going to close with this little book review that I wrote after I read your book because it was just so meaningful to me and it really touched me in a lot of ways. I said that this read challenged me to reflect on my own patterns of love. We have all heard the idea that we must love ourselves to love another. And while this line seems cliche, it's the truth. Humble brings great awareness to the importance of learning to love in a healthy way by letting go of outdated ideas or beliefs that can cloud our ability to be love and receive love. I hope that this read leads readers to realize the love within them and helps them receive the love that we all desire. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It it means a lot when people read the book. I, I am surrounded by a lot of people who accept the book and then put it on a shelf and take a picture. So when somebody takes the time to actually read it, and that's an investment of time and intention, it means a lot. And thank you for that. No problem. No problem. Actually, if you look behind me here, so this empty wall, I'm going to have a little bookshelf. So I'm going to put my favorite books up there as well. So (laughs) it's going to change. So, well, thanks again so much. And hopefully I can connect with you live in the future at one point. So we appreciate your wisdom today. Definitely. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. 
Thank you for listening. That was my conversation with international best-selling author, Humble the Poet. And I hope that our conversation has inspired you to clean out the clutter of outdated beliefs about love and has left you feeling motivated to start building a more meaningful relationship with yourself so that you can be and receive healthy love. The common theme between all of Humble's work, again, is let go and gain more. And I highly recommend reading his book, How to Be Loved, and also his first book, Unlearn, 101 Simple Truths for a Better Life. And if you have a friend who you think could gain a lot of value from Humble's lessons, please share this episode with them. And on some exciting news, please stay tuned for a new upcoming episode where I will be speaking with a very exciting guest to discuss our relationship attachment styles to help us build stronger, healthier, and more fulfilling relationships, and also to help us manage mental and emotional clutter. And as always, if you really enjoyed our discussion, we would love to hear from you. We would love it if you can share your thoughts in a kind rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or you can send us a note on Instagram or Facebook at Millennial Minimalist. And lastly, you can learn more about Lauren and I on our website at mastersimplicity.com, where you can also find Lauren's closet decluttering courses to help you simplify your closet for good. So thanks again for listening, and I'll speak with you in two weeks. Bye-bye.